Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the podcast. Because of shows like CSI, it seems like wearing gloves was always used uh, when examining crime scenes, but that was not always the case. Before it became standard procedure, evidence would be packaged together in the same box or the same bag, and several people would be walking through the crime scene, contaminating everything. Anything you carry on your hands could contaminate evidence, and DNA is pretty recent, and it wasn't used as evidence until the last couple of decades. Uh, The case that started the procedure of wearing gloves happened in 1924, where Patrick stabbed and dismembered his lover, Emily. This story takes place in the United Kingdom. Patrick was a handsome man with charming ways who committed what an appeal court judge described as most cruel, repulsive, and carefully planned murder. Patrick was born in Edge Hill, Liverpool in 1889 to a middle-class Irish parents. He was raised in the suburb of West Derby. As a child, he was an above average student and a talented athlete. He was also a regular attendee of the local Catholic church. Shortly after leaving school, Patrick secured employment as a bookkeeper. He later became a church worker and Sunday school teacher. On April 6, 1910, Patrick married his fiancée, Jessie, whom he first met at school. The same year, Patrick was arrested for burglarizing the home of a clergyman. Patrick always had a constant stream of women in his life. He would often use a fake name and take the women outside of London to romantic getaways in seaside towns so he wouldn't get caught cheating on his wife. But later, Jesse would have her suspicions. He took one woman for a weekend getaway and paid for the trip with money he stole from his job, and he used forged checks and was arrested. This was his first offense. He was treated with leniency and issued a formal caution but soon he was in prison after being found of embezzlement. When he was released, he moved to the town of Colne, which is about two hours from London. Uh, While living in Colne, they had two children, and Patrick developed a gambling habit. In 1916, while attempting a robbery, a female maid caught him robbing her employer's home, and he hit her across the head with a hammer nine times. She lost consciousness, but survived the assault. Patrick received five years in prison. 
After this release, his wife got him a job as a salesman with a company that sold soda fountains. In 19, April of 1924, Patrick met Ethel. She was 32 years old and single. She met Patrick in the pouring rain near Richmond Station. He was a tall, attractive man in his 30s. He escorted her part of the way home where she lived with her sister. He, was told, or he told her that he was married, but unhappily. When they parted, they agreed to meet again. Ethel received a telegram from Patrick the next day. A week later, she received another telegram suggesting that they meet the following day at a train station. I guess sending a telegram was the 1940s way of texting. Ethel arrived at 7 p.m., but Patrick did not arrive until 7.50 p.m. He told her that he had just traveled up from Eastbourne, which is about two hours away, where he borrowed a bungalow from a friend. She noticed that his wrist was bandaged. He said he sprained it by saving a lady falling from a bus. Over dinner, he asked Ethel if she would like to spend the Easter holiday with him at the bungalow, and she agreed. On Good, on good Friday, <clears throat> they, she caught the 11.15 train to Eastbourne, where Patrick met her at the station. They left her luggage in a locker at the station, had lunch, and then went for a drive around the seaside town in a taxi. That evening, they dined at the Royal Hotel before taking a taxi to collect her luggage and then to the seaside bungalow. They spent the next three days together. Ethel knew that other women had been there before her. She found cosmetics in the dresser drawers and a pair of women's shoes. Pat Patrick explained that... Um, they belonged to his wife, and she had been staying there before Easter. On Saturday, the pair spent some time in town. Ethel went shopping while Patrick took a taxi and went to the horse races. On the way, he stopped at a post office and sent himself a telegram. That evening, they died at the Sussex Hotel before returning to the bungalow. The next morning, Ethel saw Patrick changing a lock on the door of one of the other bedrooms at the bungalow. He struggled with it and ended up screwing the door closed. Ethel noticed a large brown trunk in the room. Patrick showed her the telegram and told her that they would have to go back to London the next day, earlier than expected. They boarded the 3.30 p.m. train back to London, and that evening they dined together before going to a show at the Palladium. After the show, he took her home, leaving her around midnight. In May of 1923, the company Patrick worked for went bankrupt, but Patrick and his wife, who also worked at the company, were not laid off. 
Patrick was given the role of sales manager, and one of his duties was to visit the receiver's head office regularly. That's where he met a secretary named Emily. Emily was 38 years old. She was tall and athletic and unmarried. She was smart with her money and had over $600 invested in stocks and shares. She often spoke to Patrick over the phone regarding business items and knew that he was married. But sometime toward the end of the summer of 1923, she suggested that they spend a day together on the river. Patrick would later say that Emily made her intentions clear. She said that she would make Patrick happy as a wife. Um, and he wouldn't want to be with anyone else. So I think it was like, oh, we have this tension. Let's just spend the day together and get rid of the tension type of thing. They spent the day together, and Patrick later described it as she showed him that she was a woman of the world, meaning she had much experience at the end of October, Emily lost her job, but managed to get another job right away as a typist. Emily started to, sh to sell her stocks and shares in February of 1924. In March, she was sick with influenza and decided to stay in Southampton, a coastal resort town on the south coast to recuperate. Patrick traveled to see her um, at the end of her stay, and they shared a double room where they registered as Mr. and Mrs. Patrick bought a diamond and sapphire cluster ring from a jeweler in Southampton, and when she returned to London, Emily was telling her friends that she was engaged. At the beginning of April, Emily told her close friend Edith that a date had been set for the wedding and that they were going to move to South Africa. Emily wrote to her sister on April 5th and told her the same story, but mentioned staying at a hotel in Eastbourne. Emily packed her bags on April 7th and traveled to Eastbourne, where she stayed at a hotel. On Saturday, April 12th, 1924, Emily received a telegram requesting to meet Patrick at the train station that afternoon. He said he rented out a bungalow and wanted her to stay with him. She checked out of the hotel, requesting the receptionist to forward any mail to a business in Paris, France. Emily met Patrick at the train station, and they took a taxi to the rented bungalow. The next morning, a butcher was delivering a meat order, and he saw Emily at the bungalow. On Monday or Tuesday of that week, Emily also called the previous hotel she was staying at uh, to inquire if she had received any mail. On April 30th, Patrick's wife, Jessie, knew something was going on. Uh, she found a luggage ticket in her pocket 
of one of her husband's suits and suspected that her husband was having an affair. She confided in a friend who was a former railway policeman. Uh, she told him about finding the ticket and asked her friend to investigate. He went down to the station and the item was a locked suitcase. He carefully eased the sides of the suitcase apart and he could see that there was a knife and blood-stained female underwear in the suitcase. He put the suitcase back and gave the ticket back to Jessie and told her to place it back into her husband's pocket and not say a word to him. The next day, the ex-policeman friend told the, the chief constable what he saw in the suitcase. An investigation team was sent to investigate and after verifying the contents, they replaced the suitcase with another one and put police surveillance in the area in case Patrick came back to pick up the suitcase. The following day, May the 2nd, at 6.30 p.m., Patrick arrived at the station. He was given the decoy suitcase, and as he was leaving the station, he was apprehended. Patrick was taken to Kennington Police Station and later to Scotland Yard. Investigators began questioning Patrick around 9.45 p.m. It took over two hours to take down Patrick's statement. He told several different stories of what happened to Emily. He told investigators on April the 16th at the bungalow Emily told him that she was two months pregnant. He and Emily had a fight because he didn't want his wife to find out about his infidelity. She got angry and threw an axe at him. It hit a door frame. During the struggle, Emily slipped and fell and hit her head and she died. He later said that he had bought a knife on April 17th and then he dismembered the body on April 18th. He said that he only disposed of Emily in this way to protect his wife. Early the next morning, investigators went to the bungalow. In a large brown trunk marked with Emily's initials, they found the quartered body of a woman. In a cookie tin, like those little steel tins and a hat box, they found a heart and other organs. And in a saucepan, body parts had been boiled. There were several blood stains in the living room, but there were no signs or marks on the walls, doors, or door frames that supposedly had been struck by an axe. Okay, so here is where <laughs> This all comes together. Sir Bernard Spilsbury was a famous British pathologist. He was called in as the chief medical, medical examiner in the case. I don't know why I can't talk. He was called in as the chief medical examiner. He asked officers to collect the remains for further examination. Officers rolled up their sleeves and started tossing body parts into the buckets. 
Shocked that evidence was being treated that way, Spilsbury asked them to put, put on rubber gloves, and they responded that they never wore any kind of protection, protective gear in the other cases that they worked at. Sir Bernard Spilsbury collected the remaining evidence himself, and then once at the exam room, he attempted to reassemble Emily's body in order to find the cause of death. Or over the course of several days, he pieced her body back together, but her head was missing. Patrick claimed that he burnt the head in the living room fireplace and then put her ashes in their garden. Um, because he couldn't examine the head, Sir Bernard Spielsbury was unable to determine the cause of death, but did say that it was not caused by disease. Spielsbury was also able to determine that she was in the early stages of pregnancy at the time of her birth, or at the time of her murder. Patrick was charged with her murder, and his trial began on Tuesday, July 15, 1924. Spillsbury testified that Emily could not have received the fatal injuries from a slip and fall, as Patrick had said. There was also evidence that Patrick had bought the knife before Emily's death, making it a premeditated murder. It was believed that Patrick was swindling Emily. He found out that she had hundreds of dollars in stocks and shares and wanted some of that money for himself. Evidence showed that Emily made four separate $100 payments to Patrick. He was found guilty and sentenced to death. Patrick's execution took place at Wandsworth Prison on September 9, 1924. So by the next murder case, Spilsbury had created a kit for police officers and investigators to carry with them to crime scenes. It included rubber gloves, a magnifying glass, a tape measure, a ruler, swabs, sample bags, forceps, scissors, a scalpel, and other instruments. Other jurisdictions and then other countries would soon follow. Putting gloves on before entering a crime scene has been standard procedure ever since. And how Alfred Hitchcock used details from this story when he was making the movie Rear Window. I hope you enjoyed this bonus podcast. With a book online, each page is a piece of the puzzle. Every moment, every laugh, every tear. It's all part of the puzzle that makes up your relationship. List all the special reasons you love someone in your own personalized love storybook. If you've heard the saying, it's the thought that counts. With Lovebook, you get to create a gift that gets straight to the heart. Guaranteed laughter and tears. Receive 20% off of your love book. Links in the description.